Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today I interviewed Kamal Ravikant. Kamal wrote a book, which he'll explain more about. And it was really interesting because this, the time that I did this interview is November 27th. I was in the middle of a deep depression um, and <coughs> it was very challenging. And I am honest about that on this, on this uh, episode. And it's really interesting what Kamal has to say because the antidote to depression does seem like loving myself. Um, and if you're feeling depressed right now, it probably has something to do with that as well. It's like a lack of ability to turn that loving, loving kindness uh, back on myself and to, to love myself fully. It does seem related to that. So this episode was very valuable for me um, and actually brought up some what's the word discomfort or resistance resistance is the word um and i don't know if maybe you can i don't want to color your experience of this episode but i would be curious to hear if you can see if you can hear that um so hopefully you enjoy me putting all of it out there um and i hope you enjoy kamal's what kamal has to say here and you should check out his book. And yeah, if you like this episode, please find us on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, any of the major podcasting platforms, and hit the subscribe button. And also, please leave us a review if you found this episode to be meaningful or impactful for your life. Also, I'm on Twitter, at Stuart Alsop, III. My DMs are open. You can DM me anytime. I try to respond to every message that I receive. Um, and I'd love to hear your feedback on the show, on this episode, or whatever your thoughts are these days. So thanks. Have a great day. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest is Kamal Ravikant. Uh, he does a lot of stuff. He's meditated with monks in Himalayas, served as a U.S. Army infantry soldier. He runs his own venture capital firm. And most recently, he just uh, wrote a, and is publishing a book called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. Uh, and so I'm really excited to have you on the show, Kamal. Uh, Thank you very much. You're actually my first podcast, actually, in a very long time. Cool. I'm uh, excited yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So you've done so much, and it feels very similar to my own life. I've I've done like a lot of stuff. I never made it to uh, Santiago del Compostela. Yeah, the that's the, the Camino de Santiago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I've done some other trips all over the world and I've lived in a lot of different countries and it sounds like we should kind of share a lot of similar, uh, values and kind of, uh, an understanding of, a, a wandering, the importance of wandering in life. Um, and so can you explain more about how this book came about and what your kind of reasons for writing it were? Sure. Actually, so, I mean, it's currently the end of 2019. I originally actually wrote the, the original version of the book in 2012 and i self-published it it was a little a short little book <clears throat> based on when my last company that i've been building uh that self-funded for years and built it up and it was doing really well and exploded and or imploded or lost everything and kind of fell apart in the process and uh, and what i did to get out of it which was just one night or one morning i made a vow to myself that i was going to get out of this and i made a vow to myself to love myself because I wasn't I was doing anything but at the time and I don't know where that came from from it came from something deep inside you know which is when you know there's something real there and it also was a vow 
a vows of full on commitment. And I'm a big believer in making and keeping commitments to myself. And this was a, if it's a vow, I actually wrote, I vow to love myself. And then this whole other thing. And I had to keep it. And the thing is, I had no idea how to, you know, no one ever taught me that, you know, no, I don't you know, I never took any courses in college, you know, you don't learn that building startups. And so I had to figure it out. And, and what I did was I was actually quite sick at the time. So I just started working the internal self and the inner self. And I would just try things in my head that worked and what, uh, what made me feel, ultimately just what made me start to feel better. And I noticed that if they made me feel better, I would go deeper down the rabbit hole. If it didn't at any point uh, work anymore, I threw it away. I was like obsessed, right? Kind of like building a product, but I was just like, you know, like healing my mind. And I came up with something that as I did it regularly, it just worked. And I started to shift my inside. And then what was interesting was uh, I noticed as my inside shifted, my life outside shifted without me having to do anything. Like that was really interesting to the point where I started using the word magic kind of like to describe my life. And um, so I used to share this with some friends, you know, here and there, like who were going through a hard time. And eventually, you know, some convinced me to write a little book on it. And what most people at the time didn't know was that while I was building startups, I was obsessively writing and rewriting uh, manuscripts and sending the publishers and collecting rejection letters, mm-hmm. becoming a better and better writer for like, I don't know, 10, 15 years, right? So by then I learned the craft and the hardest thing to do is write the truth simply, to write the deepest things simple in the simplest manner. And so I was able to do that with this little book and I purposely made it really tiny and I put it out, self-published it, didn't expect anyone to buy it except a couple of friends who I didn't want to have to explain how to do this stuff anymore. Like just go get this from Amazon. It's practically nothing just, and it took off. And within a month, it was the number one self-help book on Amazon. And it changed my life. Um, in the last five years, I mean, it sold probably like close to half a million copies, you know, for self-published non-marketed book, which is pretty remarkable. And then, but the thing is over, over the years, you know, and I put my email address in all my books. I'm like, Hey, reach out. I love, you know, to be able to communicate with your readers as a writer is such a modern a gift of the modern day. Mm-hmm. In the old day, they probably write you letters, but you know, it's, <clears throat> and my readers email me all the time and I get lots and lots of emails and they're wonderful, beautiful emails. And then sometimes there are questions and I notice a pattern in the questions. And for years I've known I need to like, to really go deeper in this book and tell the whole thing. And so I finally figured out how to do it after six years of reading these questions, finding the patterns, answering all the questions and realizing like, look, now let me get, now let me write the complete book. So I set out to do it. It took me a year um, to do it and to do it right. And, and then I end up um, selling it to Harper One, which is a division of HarperCollins, which talking about wandering is also the published, Harper One is the publisher of my favorite book of all time, The Alchemist, mm-hmm. which actually awakened the wanderlust in me when I first read it. So, and they fell in love with this book and they get what I'm doing, which is like um, really sharing visceral truth in a practical way, not from a guy who reads this stuff and then regurgitates it, but a guy who's really been an explorer and has done stuff and sharing from his life. Mm. And I want to be the soup to, soup to nuts book on like, look, you just hand it to someone by the end, they'll know how to love themselves exactly, practically and how to make it last. Mm. Wish the last one didn't do. You know, so the last one was more like a primer. You know, some, someone who's read it and read this, that said that, yeah, the last one gave you permission to love yourself. This one makes you. 
Uh, it's interesting for me right now because I go through periods of, uh, I, there's no way, other way to say it really, but depression. Uh, and uh, they do seem to be timed with the seasons. So, and there's a, it seems like there's value to it in the sense that like it clears me out in the way that Rumi would say, like it clears me out for some new delight, but it takes a long time. Uh, and so as, as we're descending into winter, I can feel it coming. Um, in some ways I'm, I'm, I'm going to escape from it and I'm going to, going to Columbia, actually moving to Columbia on Monday Good. Uh, which, which city? Uh, to Medellin. I love Colombia. I, I went to Colombia and I took salsa lessons there. It was awesome. You know, what a city to Medellin is a great city. Uh, it's, it's there. Uh, it's in a valley. The weather's beautiful. The people are lovely. The, you know, it, there's a lot of expats there. And that's, that's yeah. why not the expat part, part, but that's why I chose yeah, it. Yeah. It's sunny and, and dancing. I just scheduled my first, uh, uh, Zook, uh, Zook private class and Zook is a Brazilian form of dancing. Yeah. yeah. And the Zook is great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like this, this, this book, I read the first few pages of it and, uh, loving myself is always challenging and particularly the part, is it okay to go into what the book talks about? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the, the particularly one of the things that you mentioned is like looking at yourself in the mirror and focusing on the left side, left eye, uh, and just saying, I love myself, uh, is, is interesting and it's difficult. It's like with any meditation practice that the, I focus myself on it and then all of a sudden I get sidetracked and it's the same thing with, with any shamatha like breathing practice. And I've been doing this for 10 years, but it's like that it's, it still happens where it's like, I don't have that uh, at some points I don't have a focus, particularly when I'm feeling depressed and stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't really have a question for you about this, but it's uh, well, I do have a comment about it. It's, it's welcome to the nature of the mind. <laughs> the mind. The mind is a monkey, you know, we basically running over the monkey and our skulls running the show and it's our job to job, you know, if we really want to improve, I'm a big believer in if you start to improve the inside, the, you know, your outside starts to improve. So, but it takes work. It's not natural to sit and focus on one thought. Actually, the mirror exercise is a particular thing that I did and that really helped. So I'm there like a layout, but there's, there's also like, you know, I, I also discovered how to like breathe and the concept of light and bringing light in as you do that. There's all these nuances I put in. That really work really well, and you start to do this, man. If you go back and read the the mirror part in part two, and then you know, and but also like the mental loop and and how I build on the mirror and talk about the nuances, do them, and you'll notice a shift within a week. Mm-hmm. And it's not a lot of work, man. It's like five minutes of your day. Mm-hmm. You know, like these things. Um, I also have a degree in biology, and amongst other things, I almost went to med school, and I and I, I took a lot of like um, med school level biology stuff. You know, have so I understand enough neuroscience to be dangerous, and you know, you know, neurons that wire fire together, wire together. So all you're doing is creating neural pathways that, after a while, start to run on their own. Depression is a neural path, is a well, is a well, you know, dug neural pathway in our heads. Often, like thoughts, you know, suicidal thoughts are often like I've been through it, and I still deal with them sometimes. And I realize, oh yeah, there, there's that pathway. Mm-hmm. You know, so what you, what the 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 thing is to create. And look, man, I talk in the book, I go, I've been damn close, you know, a couple of times. And uh, it's, it's just, these are all, these are grooves and these are pathways. And we got to create what, you know, for me here was create one single incredibly powerful pathway that just overcomes them all. And you cannot find anything more powerful than love. Mm. We're, we're all wired for love. And it reminds me of this, of, there's a Hawaiian um, kind of 
saying or like similar type of thing that uses this affirmation um and i'm forgetting it now and i'm not going not going to be able to do it justice but it's something like uh you take every person that you're having an issue with and you take every person that you love and you just and you take your enemies and you take all that and you just go you bring them in your mind and you say um i'm sorry forgive me i love you and thank you um and you go through and it reminds me of that at least that love loving part brings that into it uh and it's it's been that was a powerful practice for me about a year ago um but why do you think it is why'd you stop I mean, I've done so many different practices and so many different things, you know, it's like, I've, I've, I've done it all. And, and that's, that's, you know, talking about this, 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 um, pathways, like some of these pathways for me for depression started when I was so young, uh, that it's, that, that it's, it's, uh, really extremely difficult to overpower those pathways because, you know, when we're younger, the, like when things happen to us that are really difficult when we're young, it's like those things are hard, really hard to change. Um, you know, I'll tell you something. I don't know if you've gone to the end. I mean, I talked about my childhood. It was it was really rough. You know, name all the hard things a kid can go through. I, you know, I basically ticked off most of those boxes. Maybe you haven't been through a civil war. Thank goodness. Right. Uh, but outside of that, I pretty much ticked off all those boxes. Now, you know, and I've had to, you know, it's actually interesting. I think sometimes it's the the ones who've been wounded the most, like come out with the greatest gifts who actually heal the most. Right. So everything I, I do here, I've done for myself. And I, here's the trick, man. And I'll tell you, because you're talking to someone uh, who's tried a lot of things, explored a lot of things. The key is just picking one thing and going all in. Because the mind wants variety, but the variety it wants is not necessarily good for us. You know, there's a dopamine hits, mm. you know, including in, in healing ourselves. But like picking, you know, my, I'm a big believer, pick one thing and go fully 100%, nothing else added for 30 days. Mm-hmm. And watch, you know, you will be different. Your life will be different. That's what I learned with this thing, you know, and learned to love myself. It wasn't like something simple, something nice to do, something theoretical. I was in a desperate place and I was doing it to save myself. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, one doesn't need to, do it, need to do it to save themselves. One can just do it to, you know, to make themselves better. Who amongst us can't love ourselves more? Mm-hmm. You know, it's such a, and, and when you do, you're better. Like a lot of the issues that people talk about, a lot of issues that I've had, they just kind of melt away because you, when you walk, it just, it's such a fundamental primal thing. So that's what I would recommend. Um, you know, the whole stuff with childhood stuff, we all, this, I met so many people who've been through so much. My readers emailed me some pretty, you know, remarkable stuff about their lives and what they've been through. And it's just like, oh my God, which is why one of the reasons also I wrote this second updated version, which is, I needed them to know that they're not alone, right? Like, look, you can't get beyond this, that you are like, no matter what the story is, other human beings have gone through this and far worse and they have risen through it. And so use that, you know, use that as the beacon, mm. you know? Um, and, uh, but I, yeah, I really do, you know, I go into this book about commitment and all this and making the vow, which is a fundamental part of the practice because you got to fully commit. You got to make your vow. You got to go all in on just, you know, improving your inside. Mm. And this is one great way. You know, if you find another way, great. You know, I always tell people like, pick your thing. It doesn't really make a difference to me. I find my thing. Mm. And all I'm doing is sharing my thing, Mm. right? Pick your thing, but do it all out. You know, 
So anyway, I wanted to just address that because I have readers reach out to me and say, I'm trying this, I'm trying, I'm like, look, man, what worked for me was just going all in one thing. Mm. It's like different workout programs. Yeah, they all work, but pick one and stick with it for a while. Yeah. Really see the results. And so what does it mean to love yourself or love another? Um, and why do most people have an issue with loving themselves? Why do most people have issues with the most? I honestly don't know, man. Like I, I uh, you know, the, so the world, here's the way I actually I approach this in the book too. Like, look, I have theories about it, but honestly, it doesn't matter because I just care about what works. You know, I could sit there and get lost in why I didn't, you know, and I could point to my childhood, I point to this, I point to that, but those are all just then reliving old stories that don't serve me. So I just care about what works. I just want to get better. I just want to feel great about my life. I want to be great. So I don't spend too much time in theory or why something is. I care about how do I, how do I you know, one, how do I get out of it? How, two, how do I get better? Mm. That's it. So I honestly don't know. Um, I mean, I have theories on it, but I don't, but they're just as valid as anybody else's theories. So I don't really talk about it because I'm no expert in why uh, we feel the way we do, but I do know how to get better. Mm. Um, and then what was your other question about love loving uh, oneself? What, what does it mean I'm not sure I understand oh. so what does it mean to love yourself or love another what does like cause it, loving oneself is, is not like walking around and then just you know taking bubble baths all day that's self care self care and that's important but loving oneself is literally a feeling it's a knowing it's a way you treat yourself it's a way you let others treat you you know like I I have another question I ask myself that I share, you know, that I go into part in, in questions. You know, these are all like things I hardwire into myself. And, you know, which is like, if I love myself, what would I do? I ask myself this in situations where I'm not exactly loving myself, but it's a question I can answer any time because it starts with if. And if I do if, um, I can answer it in any way. And so I can make proper choices. Loving ourselves is making, you know, the right choice, choices for ourselves a service. You know, loving ourselves is, but it starts with a feeling, with the inner knowing, you know, it's, it's like you feel lighter, you feel better about life and about yourself when you love yourself. Because how could you not, if you love yourself, you want to give yourself those feelings and that beauty. So ultimately, it's an internal thing, man. It starts with an internal thing. The rest external is all expressions of that. Mm-hmm. And loving another, I mean, like, look, the feelings you've had for loving another, imagine feel, having those feelings for yourself. Mm. same you know it's love it love is love it's just how where do you direct it mm. and so you you were in this situation where you your company was was failing um and can you talk more about like that dark the darker part where that happened where where it was like uh how did you, this so you mentioned that something came to you uh, and it just kind of like didn't you don't know where it came from why do you think that is or you know that's getting into theory again but what i was just i was watching this lecture yesterday and the person giving the lecture talked about how we have thoughts but then we also have this kind of like knowing that happens like when we're in a communication when like it's not that i'm sharing all of my thoughts with with you or with anybody else but there's something there's a voice inside of my head that comes through and then there are all these other voices and then particularly you know 
for me lately, I've had these other voices that talk about like, uh, you know, like that it's just uh, nothing's going to work out or, or things are really difficult and all these different things. Um, but then you have this voice that somehow gives you this insight to say, love yourself. Where does it come from? <laughs> Look, man, there's a, there's a deeper part to us. We all know that we all feel it. You know, usually when we're in nature, we sense it. Um, what is that up to you? You know, everyone can define it themselves. I mean, it came from me. It came to me when I was in a desperate place. It was literally, I, I wanted to, you know, I was just in, in a terrible place and I was like, no more. And then this vow came off all the things to love myself. It wasn't what I was thinking, but that's what came. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, the, here's the interesting thing. When, you know, when you start to, it, I think a lot of those things come from beliefs that we've layered in over our lives. So loving ourselves is actually, it becomes like a core belief as you layer it more and more and do it hard. So the thoughts that arise from it are naturally more loving toward yourself. You know, it's not necessarily, that's why, you know, like someone asked me like, oh, so what do I do with these thoughts, these negative thoughts? Do I embrace them? Do I sit with them? I'm like, look, I've done the, I tried all the meditation stuff and whatever, and there's a lot of validity to it. It really helps. But ultimately it's like, it's, I look at any negative thought as darkness and you can, you're in a dark room, you can punch away at the darkness all you want. It's not going to do anything in the darkness. It'll just tire you out. Mm. You know, what you need to do is turn on the light. So you go to the window and you pull out your rag and you start cleaning and light comes in. So what is the, what is, what is the rag and cleaning, which is like the practice that I came up with that cleaned my mind. And that's what I share in the book. Mm. You know, it's very simple, very practical. doesn't take up much of your day at all. Mm. And it works. That's mm. uh, all one's got to do when you're in darkness. And it's practice, man. It's not easy in the beginning because the mind is a monkey. It's not used to it. It's not used to you, something inside you wielding its authority over it. And, but it gets easier and easier. It's like going to the gym. First time you ever go to the gym versus say the day number one or day number 100, you know, or just day number 30, big difference. You know, so you you know, muscles grow, uh, the mind grows and the mind's very plastic. Mm. And this is all just a simple, one man, simple solution that he put out to the world six or seven, was it, seven years ago. And it actually worked for a lot of other people. And now I've just, I've, all I've done is I've shared the nuances and gone deeper into it. And so I talk a lot about the show about uh, stress and creativity. So what does loving yourself have to do with creativity? And you, you mentioned that once you started to do this, your things started to open up in a way that they had never previously opened up. What is the relationship between love and creativity? Um... Look, when you create something, you if you create something out of love, it just is better. I mean, I'm not a fan of like the whole thing where you have to be in a, you know, just create a darkness. Um, but that's my thing. That's my personal view as a creator. I, you know, I love my work. I love what I do. I love the writing. I love every word. I hammer and chisel away until only the words that matter are left. That comes with love. You know, that comes with love and caring about who's going to read it. There's a huge correlation between love and creativity. Mm. Um, if you put out to the world, with, you know, if you put love and care into it, you put out of the world, the world responds. That's the one thing I've learned. It responds to like what, what was it, the intention and what put it, put it out. Mm.
Have you already started to get re- reception? Have you already been sending this out to some of the, you mentioned that you had, you'd written the primer and then this book is essentially like how you do it. Have you already started to send this to some of your audience members or some of the people that traditionally read your work? Yeah. By the way, we're recording. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have. I mean, look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just put it out willy nilly, but look, one thing as an author, you can't write by committee. You got to write what your truth is and what you got to share. So you don't write back and say, Hey, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Mm. But I have shared it enough and the response has just been off the charts. Mm. You know, um, this is helpful in a way that the first one wasn't because it was too short and I held a lot back. This actually really goes in deep. And so, um, what it does is it answers all the questions I got over the years, uh, you know, and is written in such a way. It's not like, yeah, I'm being asked questions, but it answers all of them. Mm. So that naturally makes it more helpful. And that's the response I've gotten where it's like, it's on a different level. And I wouldn't put it out. Look, the book was doing just fine. I wouldn't put out an updated book and sell the rights, you know, and not own it anymore to, unless I really felt that it was something, something that really need to be out. And now by selling the rights, you know, it's going to be on the world in a much bigger way internationally and so forth. So it's time to get this word, this, this message of how to do this out in a bigger way. Mm. So in response to your question, yeah, I have. Yeah, I have to quite a few people. And, but very carefully as well. Not just willy, never, as a creator, never ask willy-nilly what people think. You ask very specifically to people um, you respect or people whose opinions you'd want. And then what has the process been like? I've never published a book. Uh, what is the difference between self-publishing and publishing through a, somebody who does this for a living? You mean publishing through a major, major publisher? Yeah. Well, they have a whole team there, right? Uh-huh. So yeah, there's an editor I had to work with. And, but, you know, like I'm a writer. So where I think a lot of people in the self-help space aren't actual writers. I trained myself to write literary fiction for years. So... I end up doing a lot of that heavy, all the work on my own, but you know, the editor was able to show me where there were questions and things that were missing and things that weren't necessarily needed. And I was able to, you know, cause you do need distance from your work. And so that really helped having a, you know, quality editor. Uh, but then it's just, you know, publishing company handles everything. They came up with this amazing cover and they're going to distribute it and they're selling the rights all to publishers all over the world. You know, it's, it's a, I mean, you find the right partner. It's great. Uh, and I feel like with Harper, I did. And how did so, you find them? Um, I have an agent and he submitted to different uh, publishing houses and I met with a bunch of them. And uh, Harper was the one who truly got this book and had, a, had actually the person leading Harper, Harper had a really great vision for it. That's mm. what I wanted. I didn't want to just sell it to a publishing company. I wanted a partner. Mm. Yeah. I mean, to get to a publishing company, you know, sell the publishing company, you need an agent. Mm-hmm. And then how has the process of writing affected your life? Because you mentioned you were doing this writing before um, as you started a company and everything like that. What is, how does writing affect your life and how has it kind of helped you evolve as a person? Well, look, um, I mean, I wrote this book, the, these versions <clears throat> separate from building a company. Um, look, writing is why I exist. Mm-hmm. Building companies is what I ended up doing and I'm good at it. I understand business and I'm good at, good at you know, startups. But um, so I do them because it's also fun and it keeps my left brain engaged. But writing is why I exist. So it's like, it's my practice. It's my alchemy. And we all need that. Yeah. You know, you do it, you create something 
And in the process, it changes you and you also what you, you have something beautiful to show to the share with the world. Mm. I, I think it's a gift. But, it, you know, like every gift, it requires you to put your time into it and hone it. And what is alchemy for my listeners who don't know? Where, what, how does it, how has it shown up in your life? Well, alchemy is, well, they were the original chemists. I think that's where chemistry, the word chemistry comes from. Alchemists were like, I don't know, in the Middle Ages or whatever, that they were obsessed with turning lead into gold. And they were just like in the laboratory, uh, you know, work to turn lead to gold. So alchemy is, that's what it's used for, for turning, taking something that's a lifeless thing and turning into something incredibly valuable. Um, alchemy is just a process of trans- transformation. So anytime you do something like the inner work we're talking about, pick one thing and just go all in, um, you know, that's alchemy, personal alchemy. Alchemy is taking, you know, creating something of value, creating a piece of art, creating a, creating a company. Alchemy is creating a book. Mm. And, and the thing is, in the process, you have something you've created and also you, you, you change because mm. you have to, um, no one else can do it. You got to do the work. And when you step up and create your own work, you are better. And it reminds me of this essentially, uh, they call it inner alchemy in a lot of different traditions where you take this energy that, and usually when we encounter this energy, we disperse it and it kind of just disperses out into the, and we don't, we don't really focus it. But then in inner alchemy, we can take something like a negative emotion, like anger or negative emotion with quote marks, like anger. Um, and then turn that into something. And a lot of people actually use the chakra model of like actually like turning that into something and then turning anger into love or transmuting it. And that was the like what you talked about in terms of the gold uh, and uh, turning lead into gold was transmuting one thing that wasn't precious at all into something that was precious. And we can do this with different emotions as well. Um, and it reminds me of Isaac Newton because Isaac Newton not, not only created physics, uh, but he also spent a lot of his time on these two other things, one of which was alchemy and the other one was theology. And I was reading a tweet the other day about how he basically just wasted his life on these, on these or wasted a significant amount of his time on these things that didn't turn out to be, uh, you know, right. Like, no, you, he didn't figure out how to turn gold or lead into gold at all. Um, but it's interesting. So what are the ways that you've figured out when you experience anger, when you experience all the uh, difficult emotions, what do you do with them? How do you look at them? I don't, hmm. Look, first, you can't uh, push them away. You can try to suppress them. I don't do that. What I do is I let myself experience them and then I shift because I don't want to be there. So I shift to love for myself. And that's a practice and that takes you, you have to train the mind, but it's actually very easy to do. And, you know, which is part of the whole thing, what the book is about. It's like literally shifting the mind, you know, it's not sitting there embracing it and being in it. And I don't believe in that. I can believe, okay, experience it. Say to yourself, it's okay. Shift. You might have to do it a hundred times or a thousand times during the day. And then after a while, you realize you're doing it less and less. It's just your mind just naturally shifts on its own to where you're doing it 10 times a day. Um, but it, but it's that it's that mental practice. It's a mental discipline, and that's our choice. Well, only we can do that. No one can do that for us, mm-hmm. and that's our responsibility. Actually, we want to be better, and you know we must be better from the inside. 
because that's where it all starts. You know, you can fake the outside world, but inside, if you're a shit show, excuse my language, what fun is it? Mm. You know? Who are the people that you've learned from the most, who have taught you the most about this? Is it only an internal thing or have you been influenced by others in terms of this? In terms of this, it's been, <clears throat> I mean, I've look, I've read a lot. I've met a lot of people in my life. They've all had an influence on me, but I haven't read any, like, I mean, now I do. Now I do a lot of reading in this subject, but to come up with this, I, I didn't. It was, it was an internal thing. It was just trying in my head what works. And having read theories about how the mind is and, and, the, and how emotions are and so forth, but it was, this literally just came from like running experiments in my head. You know, sample size of one. The only sample size that matter is the sample size of the self mm. when you're doing internal work. Mm. And what is the self to you? I don't know, man. That's such a big question. <laughs> I, I, I'm not qualified to answer that. Mm. That, you know, and those are things that people have been asking since the beginning of time. Can you give some specific examples of what what some major changes in your life happened as you started to do this and what kind of change you said that your life started to change in ways how how did it change can you give some examples of like maybe some synchronicities that might have occurred yeah that's actually a good word you know synchronicity synchronicity start to happen but it's actually very it's i try not to go into i mean i actually share in the book and the last third actually are an exp- an experience of like what actually happened at one time when I was doing this, but each time it's different. You know, it's like synchronicities for me that mean something might not mean something to someone else, you know, but it's like just things, you know, the, the only, the best way to describe it is things just started to work. Mm-hmm. Things that were just like, I was like trying to make happen or forcing to make happen. They just almost, it was almost like things got looser and things just started to work. Mm-hmm. And I really do believe that when you shift your inside, that happens with the outside. Don't ask me how. I mean, there's that's theories as well. But then again, it's pride, you know. And people are like, how how do you know? I'm like, well, try it, a- and watch. You don't have to accept it, you know. You try it. Hmm. It's really simple, and all you're doing is being better. Your worst case scenario is you just end up being loving yourself and walking around, walking around feeling really good, really good. Nothing wrong with that. And so, to try it. So if I'm sitting here right now and I want to try it it's a shift, an internal shift to. Well, it's a practice. It's not, you know, like the way I phrased it, the way I put it in the book is like, I created a practice just like going to the gym, you know, I have a routine. I create a very specific, very simple mental routine that I do every day. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the practice. That's what make, creates the shift. You can't shift in theory. You can't shift. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to shift here and there. You gotta, you gotta have something specific. If you go to the gym and you never worked out, you just go and lift the machine here, lift the machine there, go in every day, every time you feel like it. Versus if you're going with a specific plan that you stick to and you go specific amounts in this every day. That's the difference. That's the exact same thing here. So when I say shift, I don't mean that, well, shift when you feel like it or shift here, shift there. Like do the practice. Like do what I, you know, do what I write about. It works for me. It's worked for so many readers that have, you know, read the original version. It goes even deeper and answers the questions that people have. And then then watch that creates the shift mm. and makes it easier to shift because now your mind's getting used to it. 
can you uh, can you like guide me through the process right now? Um, the process is a bit long. It would be kind of hard. I would actually recommend. That's why I wrote the longer version of the book, mm-hmm. honestly, so yeah. that you know I don't have to keep answering that and guiding people through it, which can get pretty new, which. Sim is simple, but there's nuances to it. So that's why I actually added all the extra chapters that explain the nuances. So when someone comes across it, it's not foreign or they know, or they know exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And why did you write this book, but not, uh, do you have any plans for creating kind of video content or any other kind of way of delivering this, this practice to other people? Look, books have been around since the beginning of time. Everyone reads books or listens to books and I'm a writer. You know, that's my best way of self-expression, something I've trained myself. Like I've also written a novel. I've written another book. Uh, I'll write books of the day I die, mm-hmm. which hopefully won't be for a long time. Uh, so that's what I'm here for. That's why, you know, I do it as a book. I do it as a videos, maybe, mm-hmm. but it's not my priority. You know, I, I, um, I've seen, I know the power of the written word. You know, it's, it's had a huge impact on me. Books have had a huge impact on me. Mm. Um, like I said, The Alchemist, you know, opened up that wanderlust inside that, that I, you know, that book did that for me. Um, I don't think a video with Paulo Coelho telling me about travel would have done that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But if you tell it in a story and you tell it in a way that's compared, that just opens up something inside you. That's my goal is to open up something inside you that just makes this possible for you. It makes it easy for you. And I, for me, given the, um, the talent I worked on, that is the best way to do it. What are some of the books that you're reading right now? Right now, honestly, I'm, uh, I'm kind of in, I'm not, I've taken a break. Um, I'm actually just, I'm I'm in a kind of like an interesting a bit of a mode where I'm kind of like doing a lot of thinking because I don't want I'm think I'm planning on writing some new stuff and and I don't want to be influenced by other people's thoughts or opinions on it I just want to do my own hmm. so I'm kind of playing around my head and so I'm really not it's you know a writer reads a lot I'm actually reading screenplays because they're interesting and they're different and different enough that I don't there's no one putting anything in my head that's not mine you know they're just fun. Mm. And I'm reading screenplays for movies I enjoy, whatever, that are entertainment. Mm. Um, and this also as a writer, it's a diff- different form of writing. So reading those will only make me a better writer or I may write a screenplay. Mm. And how much, so you're going to publish the book in, in January uh, and then do you have a book tour in, uh, planned? Uh, well, Harper, Harper is publishing it in January 7th, 2020. Uh, do you have a book tour planned? No, I just want to, I mean, look, if they ask me, I will, but I think a lot of that stuff, I don't even know modern day how much of that happens, right? How much of that, I just want to share this book. I want to get the word out in this book because like everyone who bought, you know, there's so many people who bought the first one that just kept them buying copies as gifts for others. There was something special there, you know, like, so I've created something special here, even more so than the original version. So my goal is just to, you know, to be, that's why I like doing podcasts because it's like, it's a great distribution. You can talk, you know, you can have one interview, but it can go to many people and they can get to know you better and understand you better. And, you know, the, the intention behind what you created, what you're putting out. So I've, 
So in a long answer to your short question, <laughs> I no current plans, honestly. Uh, just more like travel to do uh, some interviews here and there and more, yeah, more travel to do interviews. Mm-hmm. And if I get invited to like, you know, sometimes I get invited to speak at conferences. I may do that depending on if I'm interested in the conference. Mm. And can you talk more about your venture capital work? How much are you, are you investing in companies at the moment? I've currently taken a break from that uh, just to focus on this book uh-huh. and focus on getting the word out about the book. But you know, I, I invest in Silicon Valley, you know, seed stage startups, you know, like I built companies from the ground. So I understand it. And I love helping entrepreneurs, you know, really talented entrepreneurs get started and like build something of great value. It's a lot of fun. Um, so I've kind of pulled back from the investing part. I'm doing some advising, mm-hmm. you know, uh, really doing very practical advising to startups. And then I'll start up probably investing again next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing... You know, I do very, very focused seed stage. I only invest with certain investors. So very tight thesis, nothing, nothing fancy, mm. nothing like, hey, send me your pitch deck, none of that stuff. I just talk to entrepreneurs as one former CEO to a current CEO. Okay, tell me the real deal. Let me see if I want to be involved and help. And so what are the similarities and what are the differences between writing and between starting companies? Ooh, good question. Look, either way, you got to give your all. If you're going to put something out to the world that matters, you got to give your all to it. Mm-hmm. Like I'd obsessively, like I cut out so much of what I write, like the original version, you know, I cut out 90, I cut out 90% of what I wrote. Um, everything mattered. In a company, it's, you know, you got to get everything, you know, in a startup, you, you got to give it everything to get this crazy idea off the ground and have other people join and build an actual real company out of it. They both require, you know, giving everything. And creating something that's that's beyond you, you know, companies beyond you, book is beyond you. Book goes out to the world and does its own thing. So that's one thing they both require, especially if you want to do something of quality. Mm. And then what are the differences? Well, startups you have other people working with you. Uh, book ultimately you're writing on your, you know, you're writing on your own. Even if you get an editor to send stuff to you, still doing the writing. You're, it's you and the blank page, mm. just you and the blank page. Mm. How do you deal or how do you work with or do you enjoy the fact when you sit down and there is a black blank page, is it easier for you to be in that stage where there's a blank page in front of you or is it harder to be um, in a space where you've already written something and you need to write something more or edit it? What are the, what are the challenges or opportunities and all those? Things? I think the editing part is easier. It's more fun because you can play. The blank page, you sit in there and like, you know, you, uh, the blank page doesn't really scare me anymore. I remember at a point it used to, I was like, oh, I write something good enough, whatever. You just write what's in the moment. You know, Hemingway used to do that. He's just like, you know, he's like, you've done this before. Just write one true thing. Then write another true thing. Then write another true thing. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And we all have, if you give yourself that permission, just write the true thing. Write one true thing. It could be anything. The sky is blue in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's a true thing. There you go. You have a line, right? You do that. You know, I... And before you know it, you just, and you're on a roll, you're writing. Um, so the blank page, you know, being fearful of the blank page is actually just a, it's just a fear. It's an illusion. You know, there's so many ways to get around it and just, a, it's, it's getting started. It's getting doing it. That's important. How much do you write on social media or do you, do you test out your ideas on social media no. at all? No. no, I mean, I'll, I'll share stuff on social media about it. Look, I'm an actual, I'm a writer. I'm not, a, 
like I have things to say and I know how to say them. So I work on it on my own and then I put it out. Mm. Um, I mean, like even on my Instagram and stuff, I'll write little stories about each picture I post, but that's just because I'm a writer. I'm not testing anything. I'm not testing material for a book. Um, I'm just, I got to write. If I'm sharing an image, I got to write about the image Mm. Uh, that because that's my craft. And so most of the time you're spending alone on your own writing um, and then taking that and then editing it on your own as well. Are you on your own editor or? Depends on the book. And look, I'm, it's not like I'm writing all the time. I take, I go in stages, you know, when I'm working on a book, I'm really working hard. Otherwise I write as I enjoy it. Um, it's good. You know, I like, I actually like taking breaks, but I'm always writing like during the day, I'll write little snippets in my phone or whatever. You can't turn that off. Um, and so it's not like I'm, but when I'm working on a book, then it's a different thing. When I'm working on a book, I'll, you know, I'll wait till I'm done with the whole thing and then I'll take a break and then I'll go rewrite the whole thing. Mm. I'll take a break. I'll rewrite it again. You're just honing it, honing it, honing it. The editor part is just, if I sell a book to a publishing company and then they have an editor there who wants, you know, who has a particular vision for it. Mm-hmm. In the end, though, you're, you're the author. You're responsible for every word, not the editor. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are many books they're working on. You have this book you're working on. So you're the one who's responsible. You're the one who's got to be obsessive about it. And then what is the importance of solitude, if at all, in terms of writing? Like, do you find value in going off on your own and being, like, in a rural area to write? Or can you write in the middle yeah. of the chaos in New I, York? I can do both, but I, I enjoy writing in nature. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Each time I go somewhere different. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, just nature. Um, but yeah, I've written both. I've written in the madness of New York City. I've written in San Francisco. I've written in middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're all valid. In the end, you know, not being able to write somewhere is an excuse. It, it comes from fear. Mm-hmm. But I do enjoy writing in nature more than any other place. And when you experience fear, what happens to you specifically? What kind of fear? Uh, I don't know any term, types of fear. Uh, what, so is fear a part of your life at this moment? Or Sure, I'm, I, you know, I'm human. I mean, I cover fear pretty well in the book too, and, but like, and how I've used this to actually overcome it a lot. Um, fear is a human natural emotion, a natural thing. We basically love and fear are the two key primal drivers, right? And it's just often recognizing it for what it is. And I, and I, I think I do a good job with that in the book, um, if I may say so, because I've had feedback from a lot of writer, uh, readers in the original version, you know, that it's, it's an illusion. And sometimes we give into the illusion, but more you start to recognize it for it's an illusion, the less you give into it. And then you move to what's real and you move and you shift and you shift. You know, sometimes I give in, sometimes I don't. You know, the more I do this, the more often I don't. That's all. And how do you know what's true or how do you know what is real? We do. Um, we do. We do. We have that. We have our internal guidance systems. Hmm. You know, I don't think anyone can. T- um, we do. We just have our own, our own internal guidance system. We just have to learn to trust it and listen to it. And that also takes practice. And all this stuff is, but you know, personal responsibility, practice and mental discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, and do you have any like um, 
bodily sensations or when you're in that in that state of doing something that you know is right or real or anything like that what is the kind of somatic experience of that honestly don't even focus on that the somatic experience i know when i'm feeling love you know like my breath my it's breath and it's feeling light coming in and it's feeling more just centered um but outside of that, I don't really pay that much attention to somatic experience. I just go for, you know, thought and feeling. Mm. Mix them together and the rest pretty much takes care of itself. Mm. So for the last few minutes or so, I wanna I'd love to go into more about biology. Have you have you been have you been kind of keeping up with the latest stuff in biology at all? Well, it depends. It's a very big field. <laughs> you know, I, I care more about nutrition and that kind of stuff. It's just, you know, things that make me better. So I, if anything, I focus this more on the practical end, just uh-huh. stuff I can apply to myself. Otherwise, the big picture end, I don't really pay much attention these days. Yeah. And so what is something really practical you've learned in the last few days about or last few weeks about, about biology, about the way that your human body works? Nothing in the last few weeks that I know of. I mean, look, I know I've, I've been studying this stuff for a long time, you know, cause I really care about taking care of my body and my mind. And, um, have I learned anything in the last few weeks? That's an interesting question. I don't think so, honestly. Um, about biology, mm-hmm. uh, I honestly can't think of it. I mean, like, look, you know, there, I was actually listening to some podcasts. Um, guy was talking about the benefits of fasting. You know, I was talking to this physician that I know this cardiologist who, uh, you know, takes care of high-end clients. And it was like, yeah, we found that like, you know, how the 16, eight day, 16 hour fast per day, um, eight day feeding window, he said, we're getting more and more clinical data into his patients that finding that actually really helps with all the markers. So the fact that not only do there's this anecdotal data that people are saying, but I do what I feel better, I look better. He's actually finding like actual differences, like marked measurable differences in markers in his patients. That was interesting. Uh, have you ever heard of uh, intermittent hypoxia training? <laughs> I have, no, I haven't. So, so it's essentially it's uh, a fasting, but for the breath. Uh, and so you can, uh, so in the same way, so if, uh, you know, if you're fasting, you're essentially stressing your body um, in a way that promotes this adapt- adaptive response. And we can do the same thing with our breath when we slow down the breath to a very, very slow, slow um, in and out through the nose. Uh, but we can also basically pause the breath and hold it in retention. Um, and then once we do that, then it raises the CO2 levels in our blood, um, which basically set off this chemical pro- process that then relaxes the airways. Um, and it's so they're starting to get evidence about it. I mean, they've had evidence for a long time about uh, high altitude training, but this is basically just a regulation practice where you can essentially regulate the breath in order to promote this, um, inside of the, uh, inside of the body on a, on a regular basis, but just by holding your breath. Um, it's, it showed up, it's showed up in a lot of yoga practices throughout the generations. Um, but now they're actually starting to get evidence about it, which is very, very interesting. That is interesting. I'll check uh, probably increases not, well, it's like, it reminds me of, you know, Wim Hof, you know, that's about breath, you know, breath and temperature. Were you about to say nitric oxide? Yeah. Yeah. Does it and it does. Nitric oxide levels. Yeah. So, and that's the other thing. This particularly the long inhales and long exhales through the nose uh, increases the intra uh, nasal nitric oxide. Um, yeah, and that's actually good for blood flow. So you know, dilates the vessels. Yep. 
and relaxes the fascia and the connective tissue. Um, and then another interesting thing I recently learned is that the, uh, there's another breath practice where we can hum um, and we hum and we vibrate all the structures of the, the nose and the, the mouth. Uh, and in that humming also releases uh, nitric oxide. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, there's, you know, one thing I've come to conclusion is like, you know, when it comes to food and some of these practices, you know, go old school, go stuff that's been A-B tested for thousands and thousands of years. You know, like I don't like to eat processed foods. That's like A-B, you know, you're testing me as a lab rat on stuff that did never existed in human history, right? Versus just eat whole foods. Yeah. You know, like just eat something that's either, you know, that, that's been eaten, eaten by cultures for thousands and thousands of years. Your body knows how to, what to do with it. Mm. Stuff that's never existed before, no matter what the packaging says, you know, your body doesn't know what to do with it. And I don't want to be part of that science experiment. Yeah. And it's getting crazier today, particularly with these, uh, the impossible burgers and all the burgers made totally processed from crazy stuff. Yeah. You know, like the intention's really good, but this is version one. I think I'll wait till version five. Yeah. Version one, you know, like you look and they, they have to do, they have to do things to make it work that aren't, that may taste good, that may feel good, but they may not, they're not good for you. Like if there's seed oils in there, that's poison. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there's enough data coming out that seed, a body did not know, doesn't know what to do with them because seed oils, seed oils never existed in human history. You know, like anything that requires a chemical extraction process was not something ancestors were eating thousands of years ago. Mm. right and it literally a lot of modern disease comes from damage from these things so if you know if if a meat substitute has that you know skip the meat substitute just eat vegetables mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um i have a friend of mine jersey gregory he's a he's a trainer olympic trainer and you know the guy's in 60s in great shape and he's a pure vegetarian and he says like if you ask send him a texting hey what are you eating for dinner tonight and he'll send you a photo and it might have just ended up being a whole cauliflower on a plate <sighs> you know he's a real vegetarian he's like why would i eat this other stuff that that man is making but nature but i'll just stick with what nature makes right and this way also then he doesn't have to feel like he's keeping up that taste from meat he's become a pure vegetarian mm-hmm. and and you know look it works for him mm-hmm. but you know he's sticking with what what's been tried and true for all those years for thousands you know since it, since humankind's been around yeah in terms of the protein sources and how to get better protein sources one of the most interesting things that i've been seeing is the um oysters because oysters you can grow you can just put um ropes inside of the sea uh, and have them float um yeah. and grow oysters in this way that in in you know in fish if you farm fish the omega-3 acids actually uh, are lower than they are in wild, but in um, in oysters, they're actually the same because they just sit there anyway. Um, so it's really interesting. Yeah, they're supposed to be really good for you. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And how can people find out more about um, what you're working on and, and this book in particular? Yeah, thank you. Uh, look, this book will be out. Um, you can go to my, you can go look it up on Amazon, wherever, you know, find books uh, sold, you know, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It by Kamal Ravikant. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, the usual suspects. Mm. You know, I'm pretty easy to find online. Cool. I wish you best of luck spelling my name, though. <laughs> uh, so Kamal Ravikant, it's K-A-M-A-L-R-A-V-I-K-A-N-T. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. 
Hope you enjoyed this episode with Kamal. I'll be releasing episodes every day, Monday through Friday. I'm also starting to release episodes in Spanish. I will be starting to release episodes in Spanish. And if you're interested in those, uh, go ahead, go to Twitter and follow at Crazy Wisdom ESP. Again, that's at Crazy Wisdom ESP. Uh, and I will be publishing the episodes there. Hope you guys have a great day. Enjoy the new year. <laughs>